the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you a Christian? How do you know? Are there marks in your life that would say that you are? We'll take a look at the mark of a Christian next on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Whether it's a loaf of bread or a car, you can usually tell just exactly what it is by the ingredients. Banana bread, pumpernickel, sourdough. Is that a Corvette or is that a truck? Again, the ingredients usually tell you. Welcome to today's broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. We're taking a look at the ingredients of a Christian. John chapter 13, verses 31 through 34 is where we're at today. The Mark of the Christian is the title of our message. Here's our teacher and Pastor Emeritus, Phil Howard. Today's program, Truth For Today. Let's go on a little journey as we look at 1 John and 11 characteristics. We just pick them up from the epistle on how this love is fleshed out, what it will look like. 1 John, same writer, end of his life. There's three tests in the book of 1 John as to whether you know God or not. One's the doctrinal test. Who is Jesus Christ? If you don't see him as God, you fail the doctrinal test. The second test is the moral test. What is your relationship to sin and right? If you don't practice righteousness, you don't know God. If you practice sin, you don't know God. There is a moral break from sin and a beginning to walk with Christ. But then the third test is the social test. How do you feel about the family of God? How do you relate to fellow brothers and sisters in the body? And let's begin to look at them in 1 John 2, verse 7. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Now, let me tell you what I think light means in 1 John. Light in 1 John is God's life displayed. He picked light. Light is energy manifested. And John uses that God is light. God's not a giant light bulb. God's not just just a lot of light, which there is plenty, believe me, there is that. The glory that's unapproachable. But I believe in this book, he's saying... He is the light of men. He is God's life in display or in manifestation. And so he's saying here, to say that we're walking in the manifested life of God, 
We cannot be walking in that light if we're not loving a brother. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. And when we stop loving a brother, and we can all do it through unforgiveness, bitterness, misunderstandings, when we choose to quit loving, guess what happens? The light goes out. And in a dark room, you can do a lot of stumbling around. He said, when you're not choosing to love, you're stumbling. You're tripping over this and you're tripping over that. You start making all kinds of errors of judgment and behavior. You're a stumbling blind man, as it were. Where did the light go? The light went when you decided to hate instead of love. You can't be in the light and hate. You've got to love to be in the light. You're walking in God's life when you're loving the brethren. When you choose not to love them, even to be passive. This is what Christians do. I would never hurt them. I won't do anything. What if they were drowning? Too bad. I don't want to get involved. What if they were hurting? I won't work against them. I just won't help them. I'll pray for them as they drown. I don't want to get involved. I don't hate anyone. Have you ever seen that? I don't hate anyone. But, but what if they're in need? I said I don't hate them. But they're dying. I don't hate them. But I pray I'll attend the funeral. They, they need help. They ain't going to get it here. Because I've chosen not to love. And when you don't love, you don't get involved. You don't want to know because you're not available. That's hate. To refuse to love is to hate. And when you choose not to love, God's going to take away the light. And you're going to start stumbling. And you're going to break your neck. Because you're going to fall over stupid decisions and stupid behaviors that you never dreamed you could commit. Because when the room's dark and you're walking through there, you didn't plan to trip. You just didn't see what you were stumbling over. You needed light. When you're walking in love, God's light is in your life. He's showing you where to go, what to do. The room is lit up for you. 2, verse 16 of chapter 3. This is how we know what love is. She sends the picture of the tractor. No. This is how we know what love is, Tina. What's love got to do with it? Everything. But she's singing to a culture that gave up on love. They've settled for one night stands. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Has anybody in this room died for anybody lately? No. But we like to act like it, don't we? We're martyrs anyway. Well, I loved him a little bit. Did you die for him? Well, if I died, I wouldn't be here. I know. 
We ought to die. God usually doesn't ask us to die, but it ought to be an ought to attitude. What is love? It's sacrificial. It's the love of God. He never used sex to describe his love. He never used friendship to describe it. He said, my kind of love towards you was I would give up my dear son for your atrocious sins. I expect you to love others the way I've loved you. I was friend, if you were in desperate needs and it demanded one of my children's life, I think you're going to die. You can't have them. You're not going to get them from me. It's not. I'm not going to give up a grandchild for one of you. God takes them. He'll take them. It won't be me giving them. But we ought to love the brethren like God has loved us. Sacrificial love. Wow. Verse 17. He goes on. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? God's love is practical. It responds to people's needs, physical needs. And when we love people, we will physically be involved. If we can help, we will help. Money, food, clothing, shelter, whatever we can do on a physical level. God's love is not just sentimental. It doesn't say just be filled, be clothed, go on your way. I'll pray a miracle. I'll pray that God will clothe you and meet your need. The miracle would be if you pulled out your wallet. There's the miracle. God's not doing unnecessary miracles to make up for our laziness nor our stinginess. It's poor folks, all they've got to really share is a meal. But there's a camaraderie sometimes that what I've got is yours. We'll share. We'll all starve together or we'll eat together. Love is very practical. It's responsive to needs. You know, I, I think of uh, when I was having my hip replaced, uh, my neighbor uh, come down to uh, mow the lawn. I said, oh, no, no, don't be doing that. I'd rather pay somebody to do it. He said, you're not paying anybody. I'm here. God didn't mow my lawn. A brother did. And he didn't do it because he had to. didn't do it because he ought to. He had the money. He could have hired somebody. But you know what? There was something that was more like a gift in it that he was doing it. I went out there on my crutches and I watched him and said, you missed the place, you know. I begin to kind of like it. Get over there, Donald. Get, is that all you're going to do? You know. Love gets involved in the most practical of areas. Just don't make this thing so ephoral you don't get involved. He said, if you see a brother in need, do something about it. Chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves is a super outstanding, victorious, sold out, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled on fire Christian. No, they've just been born of God. That's enough. You don't need another experience. 
When you're born of God, a divine capacity to love is given because God's seed is in you. God's nature has been shared with you. We are partakers of the divine nature. God has shared part of his love bias with those he has begotten. You ought to love because your father loves and you've got his nature. And then he goes on to say, it's in the nature of God to love. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. As to his nature, God is love. This is one of Rich Rollins' favorite verses. They used to always set me up with this verse in the early days he was here. He'd say, how do we know if someone really knows God? And I immediately went, well, it's knowledge. Knowledge, if you know, it's knowledge, right? To know is to know. To know is cognitive, cerebral, right doctrinal answers. You know systematic theology. You may have gone to Bible college. You, you've got a body of information you've got down pat. And he used to always set me up with about three times that I caught on that he was trying to convert me, and he did. He said, it doesn't say that you know God if you've been to Bible college and you've got all this information alone. He says, a very clear proof of a man knowing God is he loves like God. We've given up that criteria in much of the church because we've become rigid, inflexible, and the dead right, mean right attitude. We're better at winning theological arguments at times than we are loving broken people. I remember when I first came out of the group that I was saved among. And as I was changing theologically from the way I was taught, and as I gave up ordination papers and made a break, well, I happened to be discovered by the group that was just the opposite of these people. And so all these pastors began to book me to come hold meetings telling why I left this group and what was wrong with this group. Because it makes us look better, you know. We've been right all the time. Well, I could teach why I came to believe, maybe the security of the believer or change my view on different things that over here I found out wasn't so. And I'm over here. And so I began to make these bookings. And they would bill me such and such, a former, now a, on the right side. Now these folks I got saved among. These folks taught me to pray. These folks taught me to give. They, they, they sure knew how to love. They loved me greatly and I loved them. But now I'm over here with another part of the body telling everybody what's wrong with this part and why we're so right in these areas. And about the third conference I was doing, it's just like the Holy Spirit died in me. And... Um, I got alone with the Lord. I said, what's wrong, Lord? I'm teaching the truth. He said, I didn't call you to build a ministry on going around telling what's wrong with one part of the body and what's so good about the other part. You see, these kids over here are mine, and these kids over here are mine. Now, these people over here, they're goofed up in these areas, and you're not even talking about them. You're just talking about what's wrong with the part of the family over here. And I'm not going to bless you doing this. You're on your own. Teach it in the Bible. 
teach it in the church you pastor, but don't build a ministry on going around telling what's wrong with other Christians. Because you've got enough faults of your own. And you won't ever get better by talking about their faults. Don't go around comparing ourselves with other Christians. Don't believe truth and quit loving. You'll never learn so much Bible you can't love a brother that doesn't, is not right on the issue but is a brother. A brother or a sister, we love all Christians, even the ones we disagree with, because we've learned to differ differently. We differ differently. We differ in love. I'm never going to, I never get permission to withdraw my love from a brother that disagrees with me. I believe the security of the believer. Let's take that. There's many believers that you can lose your salvation. How am I to treat them when I'm with them? Love them. Love them. The world will know that we're brothers because we love, not because we always agree. But the way we disagree must be a loving way lest the world accuses us of not knowing God. So even when you disagree with your brother, you better do it in love. God holds us accountable for that. Well, let's keep moving on. Verses 9 and 10. This is how God sowed his love among us. He sent us a correct doctrinal statement. Is that what your says? Now, I believe in correct doctrine. I teach it all the time. But when he's emphasizing love, he's emphasizing God sent somebody that would vacate a throne, become a man, and enter into my fallen world that he might let me live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God's supreme manifestation of his love was the sacrifice of his son. God's love for us in verse 11 is why we ought to love. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It's not because some brother loved you that you ought to love. Has God loved you? I don't know how you could be a Christian and not be convinced that God loves you. Because the moment he saves you, he gushes the love of God abroad in your heart. Romans 5, 5 says, he gushes it out there. And you're overwhelmed with a sense, I'm his child. I have peace with God. I've been justified by faith. If there's nothing else I know in all this world, I know I'm loved by God and I'm right with God. No matter what comes or goes. Until you've got that settled, you're not a believer. Once that's settled, you can never say again, I have not been loved. What more can God do besides the cross? The ancient world would say, go to a temple and have sex. God says, go to a cross and find my son. I've done something no other religion in all history has done. I gave up a member of the Godhead for your sins. No other religion has ever done that. He has loved us at the cross. That's his statement of how much he loves us. Look at verse 12. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Oh no, I need verse 12. 
No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. How do you see the invisible God in a life? He said the way God will break out is in love. The way God becomes perceptible to people in your life is when they see you loving. Because he's an invisible God. And he says, but let me show you how I'll show that I'm living in you. Now, see, you look at me right now. Did you know that all three members of the Godhead are indwelling me right now? Ephesians 4, 6, God the Father's in me. Colossians 1, 27, God the Son's in me. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Romans 8, 9, the Spirit's in me. Now, do any of you see the Trinity? Please say no. It's invisible. Invisible. But you know how you can find out if the Trinity is living in me? Unmistakably, is when I love you. When I love you, the invisible God makes himself visibly perceivable. Folks aren't interested in all of our claims until they see us love them. Well, verse 19... Why do we love? Because he first loved us. Verse 20. Love forbids that I hate a brother. I love what Romans 13, 8 through 10 says. If I love you, I can't commit adultery against you. If I love you, I can't steal from you. If I love you, I can't do the negative behaviors that would destroy you. Love will not sin against whom it loves. So if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. If you love God vertically, you must love your brother or sister horizontally. And he's given us this command, whoever loves loves God must also love his brother. Have you ever heard people say, I love God, I just can't stand Christians. I love God. Well, you ought to. He's perfect. He's done all the giving. That ought ought not be a big deal. The way he says you can really show you love him is the way you love his kids. And his kids have got all kinds of things you've got to love beyond. Just think if love was working, and love has worked in the church Love in the church ends racism. It ends chauvinism. It ends male domination. It ends feminism where you hate men. It would never have allowed a Kosovo where we have ethnic cleansing. It gets rid of child abuse. It gets rid of divorce. It gets rid of affairs. You can't love people and sin against them at the same time. John Powell in his book, Why Am I Afraid to Love, said these words. Our lives are shaped by those who love us and by those who refuse to love us. You are what you are because of those who loved you and because of those who refuse to love you. You're the product of love or the lack of. For many, the only love exposure you ever found in life is when you came to Jesus Christ and God became your father. And let me tell you, one God could make up for a thousand wrong relationships. Because he can outlove you for eternity. He's going to just keep pouring it on. If your mama wasn't there, he told Israel, can a nursing mother forget her child? And he says, yes, she can, but I will never forget you, Israel. 
He loves forever. His anger is for a moment. His loving kindness is forever. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Our time today spending God's Word to encourage you to bring you truth for today. If you have questions or comments about our time together, we would invite you to write to us. You can either visit our website and drop us an email, write to us via U.S. mail, or give us a call. Another way to reach out to us with your questions would be to simply record them on your voice memo app on your smartphone and then email that audio to tftquestions at valleybible.org. Our phone number is 855-833-9864. Our website, truthfortodayradio.org. And if you're writing to us, the address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. If you have questions about the ministry of Truth For Today and how we are funded to air on this radio station, we would love to talk with you. We are listener-supported, quite simply, and no gift is too small, no gift is too large. Whether it's a one-time gift or a monthly gift, it all goes back into the radio ministry, ensuring that it airs on this radio station. So would you consider that as you reach out to us here at Truth For Today? One other note as we close out our time today, while Pastor Phil is the pastor emeritus at Valley Bible Church in Hercules, we are still very much a part of this body. And if you are looking for a church, we would invite you to join us. Now, we know that this current crisis has us all sequestered away. So you can join us at valleybible.org, where we stream our services. Again, valleybible.org. And then, as we find ourselves released from this quarantine, we will be meeting together here in Hercules. And for information, directions, and details, again, visit valleybible.org. And then we invite you to come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. 